Well, thank you for that warm introduction. I am grateful. Ooh. It's nice to see all of you. How many of you were here when I was here last? Am I any taller? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> oh, just older. Uh, it is good to see you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to be back with you here at City Temple. It's, um, it's always a joy to be with you. I'm on my way back, uh, back home, back to Budapest. Uh, I fly out tomorrow morning where my wife, Ruth, is waiting for me. It'll be nice to see her. I've been in the States the past uh, week and a half. I, I'm very grateful for your prayers for my father. Uh, if you want to remember to pray for him, his name is David. I won't object. A hundred years old. It's amazing. Uh, he's very resilient. And he still, um, still hasn't opened his heart. So uh, I am hopeful that, that he will. So thank you for your prayers on that behalf. Uh, I appreciated what you said, uh, Rod, about, about Jews for Jesus. I'm a product of Jews for Jesus. I came to the Lord uh, through, uh, well, Jews for Jesus played a significant part. That was back in the 70s when many of you were still cosmic dust. <laughs> <laughs> You know, every once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll run into somebody who'll say, they'll say, Jews for Jesus? How, how long has Jews for Jesus been going on? <laughs> I usually like to say, oh, 2,000 years. <laughs> and people forget that all of the first Christians, all the first followers of Jesus were us Jews. All of the first missionaries were us Jews. That's essentially what we Jews for Jesus are, in case you don't know. We're missionaries, uh, and we have one burning desire, and that is to bring the gospel first to our people. But, you know, we'll tell anybody about Jesus if they want to hear. Uh, you don't have to be Jewish to love Jesus, <laughs> but it doesn't hurt. Um, I remember in the early days when we really intended to be nothing other than a North American phenomenon. Uh, we were born out of a very, very exciting time in the States, uh, it was mostly a North American phenomena called, uh, now it's called the Jesus Revolution, if you read, you know, books about mission history. Um, it didn't spill over into, uh, into the UK or onto the continent very much, but in the States, the strength of it was from about 77, 67 to 77. I don't know how many millions of people gave their hearts to the Lord. And um, several thousand were young Jewish men and women. Many of us were um, disenfranchised, disillusioned radicals. You know, we finally found the right cause. Um, but it was a very exciting time. And now, by God's grace, we have missionaries in uh, 13 countries around the world. I have the privilege of, uh, of overseeing the work in, um, in Europe, greater Europe, which includes the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, where my wife and I lived for a number of years. Um, I'm telling you all this because I, I want to give you a little bit of, a, I guess, a context so that hopefully you will remember to pray for us. In fact, um, Rod already mentioned, but let me mention it again. Uh, did anybody not get one of these pamphlets? If you didn't get one, raise your hand, would you? Uh, I want to make sure everybody gets a piece of the propaganda that I brought with me. Oh, okay. There's one for you. Anybody else? Anybody need one? Yeah? Okay. There you go. 
One for you. Great. Anybody else? Oh, okay. Thanks. Go ahead. Um, if you open it up, you'll see uh, the final panel. There's a place where you can give me your contact details. I'd like to ask you, even, even as I'm speaking, even as I'm preaching, don't be shy. Just tear it off and fill this out. And after the service, um, either give it to me or put it into the uh, offering plate, whether you give a gift or not. Even if you're already receiving the newsletter, I'd, I'd be grateful if you take a moment to fill it up because that way we can double-check the database and make sure that we've got the right information on you. We can't do what we do unless our brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for us. That's it. That's the equation. That's what we need. We need people praying for us. You know, and some of you say, oh, it's okay, Avi, I'll pray for you. No, you won't. <laughs> yeah. You'll forget. That's normal. But if you let me send you our free newsletter, then you'll be reminded to pray. And from time to time, you will pray. And God uses your prayers to empower us, to embolden us, to do what we have to do. That's the equation. So um, please, let me stay in touch with you. Because your prayers are really crucial um, before I, I share the word, I'll just uh, give you a quick update of some very exciting things that are going on. Um, in Budapest, uh, quite unexpectedly, we're, we're seeing um, a very, very um, interesting, growing interest among two types of our people. Jewish intellectuals, a very strong uh, intellectual heritage among Jewish people. Um, in Hungary. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of intellectuals open up to the gospel. They're meeting with us. Uh, uh, we're doing surveys with them. We're having special evenings with them. We're planning a whole series of discussion groups with them. Of course, it's all evangelistic, and they know it's evangelistic. You know. um, so we're seeing a real interest there. And even more remarkable than that, we're seeing a real interest and receptivity among Holocaust survivors. Now, you would think if there's any group of people that doesn't want to hear about the Lord or about God in general, it would be the people who, who, who went through that and survived. And yet we're seeing them not only meet with us and talk with us, we're seeing them come to faith. It's, um, why? I don't know. <laughs> you know. It's called God's grace. But he's kept them alive all those years. And now they're listening to the gospel. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. Um, in, uh, in the UK, uh, we're having a, a whole, we're rebuilding the team with a whole new influx of, uh, of young missionaries coming in. Two from Israel who are joining us at the top of next month. Uh, one who's uh, Israeli, Norwegian, young woman who's already joined us here. Um, why? Because there's a very strong contingent of Israelis who live in London. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, and so we're building a special focus team to bring the gospel to them, as well as, of course, to the, um, uh, to the, the, the other Jewish people who live in London and throughout the UK. Um, France is opening up with uh, very, very unique opportunities. France has the largest Jewish population of all of, of, of Europe, 700,000. About 400,000 living in, in, in Paris alone. Berlin! <laughs> um, 
There are three types of Jewish people in Berlin. The smallest group are German Jews. That's understandable. Um, the largest number of Jewish people in Berlin, you ready for this? Can you guess? 22,000 Israelis, 40 years old and younger, who have moved there in the last few years. That's the largest group of Jews in Berlin, young Israelis, entrepreneurs. Um, and we've got a thriving work there now that's uh, under the leadership of a young man who my disciple named um, Aaron Levin. He's doing a great job. He's got a whole fresh team of... Uh, multicultural team, Russian-speaking Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, German-speaking Jews. It's exciting. There's just so much going on. This is why um, I really implore you to let me stay in touch with you so that, so that you'll know how to pray. Um, and I'll tell you what to pray for, okay? Very simple. People. It's the only thing, I, it's the only thing we need. People. People who have a burden to preach the gospel. People who have a burden to pray for us or to stand with us in, in some other way, including financially. But all we need is people. It's interesting, you know, if you look at the scripture, what did Jesus tell us to pray for concerning ministry, right? <laughs> he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will bring into the field. That had to have been intimidating. Can you imagine it? You know, I see Jesus standing there, you know, he's, he's gazing off into the field. And so the apostles, you know, they want to be with him, so they're standing there too, and they're gazing with him. Right? <laughs> you know? and, then, and then he muses out loud, he says, the harvest is plentiful. And they're all going, mm, mm, mm. Labors are few. Mm. And then he looks at them. Now, can you imagine standing there? Imagine you standing there and Jesus looks at you and says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send somebody into the field. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send somebody. And you go, okay. <laughs> Just don't send me. <laughs> pray that God continues to give us people. That's what we need. People. I want to talk with you about a passage of scripture that I really love. Um, these are historical events, but I'm going to take a little bit of liberty because I think that the story of this passage of scripture applies, in a sense, to what's going on in the world today. But I am not, I'm not diminishing the historical reality of the passage of scripture, okay? I'm not allegorizing the scripture. I want to make that clear. Uh, it's the passage of Scripture when the Apostle Paul was on a ship bound for Rome. And the ship encounters a storm. We live in turbulent times, brothers and sisters, in case you haven't figured this out yet. Uh, on a political level, on um, an economic level, on a social level, it doesn't matter where you look. We are in a storm. Listen to me. The storm will not get better. The storm gets worse. The storm will ultimately rage out of control. And all around us, men and women are being reduced to absolute hopelessness and utter despair. And we 
are the only people with a genuine word of hope. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Our responsibility, the fact that we are the only people with a word of hope in a storm that will worsen and worsen and ultimately rage out of control. That's an exciting challenge. Open up, uh, if you have a Bible with you, or you can look at the screen, I think. Open up with me, would you, to Acts chapter 22. Let me begin by uh, reading. Follow along as I read. Acts chapter 27. Did I say 22? I meant 27. Sorry. Acts chapter 27. I'm going to read verses uh, 20 through 25. Follow along as I read in, in my translation. Would you? Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 20, where um, Luke writes these words. He says, Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. What a statement! All hope was abandoned. And then it goes on to say, When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, man. For I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. What do we see in this passage? Well, at the top of the chapter, what we see is we see the, uh, the messenger of God imprisoned. Paul is on his way to Rome. You know, he's not traveling first class. He's in chains. Uh, actually, it only looks like he's a prisoner. This is God's plan to get him to Rome. <laughs> and nothing's going to stop the Lord from getting Paul to Rome because he told him he was going to Rome. But we see the messenger of God uh, ostensibly imprisoned. What else do we see? We see the messenger of God, if you read the beginning part of this chapter, we see the messenger of God not only imprisoned, we see him ignored. Um, listen, to, uh, listen to verses 11 and following. Let me find it here. Where is it? Ah, beginning of verse 9. We read, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was, no, was, was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be uh, with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest, northwest, and spend the winter there. What do we see happen? Paul says, don't go. This is not a good time to go. But the centurion who's in charge of the, of the voyage doesn't listen 
to Paul, the messenger of God, is ignored. Who does the centurion listen to? <laughs> he listens to the three types of authority that you find in every society in every age of history. Let me give you my father's definition of an authority. My father said that an authority is the person who travels more than 50 miles to give an opinion. That's an authority. Well, <laughs> the centurion listens to the three types of authority. He listens to the expert, to the helmsman, to the guy who steers the ship, and who knows better than the technical expert. And the expert says, it's okay to sail. Who else does he listen to? The centurion listens to the owner of the ship. The owner says, it's okay to sail. Who knows better than the person who has the money? But most importantly, the text tells us that the centurion listens to the majority. It says the majority decided it was okay to sail. And everybody knows that the majority is always right. Right? No. So what happens? They sail. And if you continue reading, the storm, the storm descends. And it gets very, very ugly. It gets very, very bad. Listen to what happens to them. Verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable for wintering. Oh no, verse 13. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed in anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. Everything's fine. Now, verse 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Verse 16, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. 17, after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Do you see the progression here? The sailors, and these are professional sailors. They've lived on ships. They, this is what they do. They do everything that they know how to do from their experience to rescue themselves, and everything fails. Everything in their human capability and human understanding fails. They cannot rescue themselves. Look at what they do. They attempt vain measures. They abdicate control. They let the ship travel on its own for a while, thinking that maybe that'll solve the problem. They throw the tackle overboard. They do everything that they've been trained to do, and nothing can rescue them. And then, after exhausting all of their possibilities, we get back to verse 20. What a profound statement. <laughs> Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, 
all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. What a statement. They had been reduced to absolute despair and utter hopelessness. Now Paul stands up to speak. Now it's his turn. And he gets up and he offers them the only genuine word of hope. But it's a very strange word of hope. You know, he doesn't start by saying, guys, it's, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Now, he doesn't start that way. <laughs> yeah. Listen to how he starts. Verse 21, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. He starts by scolding them. <laughs> now, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, everybody's completely forlorn. You'd think that he would stand up and say, Calm down, calm down. I have a word of hope. Everything's going to be fine. He doesn't do that. He starts by saying, You should have listened to me! You should have listened to me. Instead, you ignored me, and you brought this on yourselves. Oh, what a word of hope. <laughs> now, why did he do that? Well, Paul was Jewish. <laughs> He was just having a normal conversation. <laughs> or, you know, he was having a bad day, storm, no food. No. Why did he do that? Well, I don't know why he did that. But I have a hunch. Paul is about to tell them information that if they listen and believe and follow his instructions, will lead to their physical survival. If they don't, they will perish. But in order for them to believe him, they have to admit that they had been wrong and that they were responsible for the storm that they were in. And they had ignored him before. So he challenged them. In essence, he was calling them to repent. The Hebrew word for repentance is teshuvah. It means to turn around. But you don't turn around unless you first realize that the way that you have been going is wrong. Have you ever turned around? Have you ever been walking down the street and then you came to the conclusion that the, that direction wasn't going to get you to, to go where you needed to go? So you went around to another direction. Why did you turn around? Because you realized it was the wrong way. They had to understand that they had been wrong and that they were responsible. He says, you brought this on yourselves. He begins his word of hope with a word of correction calling them to take responsibility for the fact that they had been wrong and that they had brought this upon themselves. Now he gives them the word of hope. Verse 22. 
He says, yet now I urge you, keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. He says, keep up your courage. You know, it's actually kind of amusing. <laughs> Essentially what he says is this. Listen, it's going to be all right because I have an appointment. <laughs> See, um, I have to go to Rome. And God told me that I'm going to Rome, so I'm going to Rome and... Fortunate for you, you're with me. <laughs> so keep up your courage, because I'm going to Rome. <laughs> and what's the guarantee? Listen carefully. What's the guarantee to his word? Listen to verse 25. Here's the guarantee. Here's how he can say that his words are true. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. The guarantee he gives them is the word of God. Did you get that? The guarantee is the word of God. I'm going to Rome because God told me. The guarantee is the word of God. So if you keep reading in the passage... What happens? Well, <laughs> the ship sinks. Paul gets to Rome. Nobody dies. Uh, this is also kind of interesting. Essentially, the heart of Paul's message to them is this. I have good news for you. This ship will sink. This ship will sink. Nothing will save this ship. But you don't have to die. You don't have to die as long as you're with me. That's what he told them. He says, the ship will sink, but you don't have to die because you're with me. Okay, so why am I screaming at you this morning? Well, because I'm Jewish. <laughs> We're having a normal conversation. No, why am I screaming at you? Brothers and sisters, without diminishing the historical reality of this passage of Scripture, we can say, the world's in a storm. The storm will not get better. There'll be respites. There'll be improvements here and there. There'll be policies and practices that look like things are going to get better here, get better there. The storm gets worse. The storm will ultimately rage out of control. And even now, all around us, men and women are doing everything they can to rescue whatever storm they're in by employing whatever means they've learned or whatever the world is telling them to do. And it's all failing them. All around us, men and women are being reduced to absolute despair and utter hopelessness. And we are the only people with a genuine word of hope.
What's the word of hope? Well, it's a word of correction. Now, we don't have to be you know, strident about it. The message itself is strident. That's why we have to preach the gospel in love, because the message itself is so sharp, it doesn't need any additional sharpening from us. The word of hope begins with a word of correction. It's the gospel. The gospel is called good news. It is good news. It's also bad news. What do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Hmm? Bad news. <laughs> you must be Jewish like me. <laughs> I'm going to give you the good news first. The good news is that God loves each one of us so passionately that he's provided a way for us to be rescued from the storm. He's provided a way for us to be forgiven for our rebellion against him and to be restored to an everlasting, intimate relationship with him. That's the good news, but it stands on bad news. The bad news is that the only thing that we deserve from God is his wrath and his everlasting judgment. The storm we're in is the storm of our own creation because we have chosen rebellion. We have ignored the message and the messengers of God. We've decided to go our own way. Each one of us has gone our own way, the prophet Isaiah says. All of us like sheep have turned, turned astray. I remember years ago, early days of, of the work in uh, the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union was collapsing, and uh, I was on the streets of Odessa, and I'm talking to this man, and he was, he was furious. Um, he still claimed to be an atheist, and he was so angry. And he said, if there's a God, why is all this happening? Look at this! Everything is a mess! There's a God, where is he? Why is he letting this happen? I said to him, wait a minute. I said, you know, uh, 70 years ago, your ancestors and my ancestors said to God, we don't need you. We're going to build a paradise on earth. We don't need you. You don't even exist. So go take a walk and watch what we build. And I said to him, you know what God said? God said, okay. God took a walk. And I said to him, God didn't do this. I said, we did this. We did this. I said, don't blame God unless you're first willing to admit he exists. And don't blame God for what we did. And I said, but he'll jump in. He'll come in the moment that we humble our hearts and admit what we have done and call out and say, help me. That's the word of correction. We have to take responsibility that the storms that we suffer and endure are the storms that are the result of our own natural rebellion against God. 
and we can't rescue ourselves. There's no power, there's no tool that we have that can rescue ourselves. We have to accept that responsibility. But the word of hope is that if we humble our hearts, if we believe that when Jesus, when Yeshua died on the cross, he was dying to pay the price that we deserve to pay. If we believe that message, if we believe that he's alive, and if we ask him to forgive us, he will forgive us. And he will rescue us from the storms and restore us to an everlasting relationship with God. He doesn't take us out of the storm, brothers and sisters. He promises to, to be with us and to keep us safe in the midst of the storms. Because once we are with him, nothing can separate us from his love. Neither height, nor depth, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers. Nothing can separate us from his love. According to Isaiah, his name is Immanuel. Emmanuel. Do you know what it means? God is with us. It doesn't matter what we're going through. He's with us. He cannot be the God of the scriptures if he is the God who abandons us. He's alive. And he's with us once we belong to him. And when we humble our hearts and come to him and say, forgive me for what I caused you to endure, then our hearts hear the greatest words they can ever hear. He says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And he'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. How do I know that's true? How do I know that's true? You know how I know it's true? Because I believe God that it will be just as he has told me. This is my guarantee. The word of God. You know what our message is to the world? We have a very simple message to the world. You know what it is? For those of you who are with Christ, you know, you know what our message is to the world? It's a very simple message. Our message to the world is this. We have good news for you. This ship will sink. But you don't have to die if you're with us. That's our message. Years ago, before I left the States, I left the States in uh, 90, moved to the Soviet Union. Before that, in the 80s, um, I had the privilege of leading the work of Jews for Jesus in uh, Los Angeles. And I remember one time, um, a woman came to me, uh, a Jewish believer. She came to me with tears in her eyes because her daughter 
Her name, I remember her name to this day. Her name was Leslie. Her daughter was a young woman in her 20s, and her daughter was dying. She was in the hospital. And her mother came to me and she said, would you visit my daughter? I said, yeah, of course I'll visit your daughter. So I went to the hospital and, um, you know, in those days, they didn't have um, all the, um, the scopes and the infrared, whatever they can do now. You know, they, they, they used to do a lot of things called uh, exploratory surgery. What that means is they opened you up to see what was wrong. So they had opened Leslie up, and they looked, and they just closed her up. They said, we can't do anything with this girl. And they had given her about a month to live. Young, 23, 24. So I went to visit her in the hospital, and she was post-operative, in a lot of pain, trying to sit up straight in her bed, reading the newspaper. So I knocked on her door. And I said, hi, my name is Avi. I work with Jews for Jesus. Uh, Your mother asked if I'd stop by and say hello. Can I come in? She looks at me like this. And then she waves me in. So I come in. I sit down on the bed. We're talking about nothing of any consequence for a few minutes. And then I said to her, so Leslie, tell me, how can I pray for you? And she started to cry. So I let her cry. And then after a moment, a couple of moments, she said to me, can your Jesus heal me? I said, yeah, if he wants to. And then I said, but you know, that is such a minor miracle. She said, how is that a minor miracle? I'm dying. I said, because you're still going to die. Even if he heals you, you still die. Everybody dies. And I said, but there's a major miracle that he always performs. She said, what miracle is that? I said, he'll forgive your sins. And he'll give you the gift of eternal life. And he'll help you through this trial, and you will be with him forever. And I explained the gospel to her, and then I said, you know, Leslie, if you pray and ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you. Then if we pray and we ask him to heal you, maybe he'll heal you. Maybe he'll say yes, and maybe you'll live another 60 years. Or maybe he'll say no, and you'll be dead in a month. And then I said, but you know, if he says no to the second prayer, and you're dead in a month, I'll be jealous. She said, why would you be jealous? I said, because you'll see him before me, and that's not fair. So... She prayed, she asked Jesus to forgive her, and he forgave her. And then we prayed and we asked him to heal her, and he said no to the second prayer. And she was dead in a month.
less. Listen to me. Leslie is a lot better off right now than you or me. We're still in the storm. She's dancing in front of the Lord. <laughs> and why am I telling you this? Because no one could help her except me. No one had a word of hope for her except me. The doctors avoided her. Have you ever, hope I'm not offending any doctors here, but have you noticed that doctors are not good around terminal patients? They don't generally visit terminal patients as much as when they're in the course of hoping they can heal them. Because once the patients are terminal, to be honest with you, it's a reminder that they have failed. The doctors couldn't help her. The nurses couldn't help her. All they could do was give her palliative treatment and try to make her comfortable. The rabbi on staff at the hospital couldn't help her. All he had was platitudes. No one had a genuine word of hope for Leslie except me. And my word of hope was real. We're the only people with a genuine word of hope. And for us to withhold that word of hope is criminal. For those of you who already know the Lord, for us to withhold the word of hope is criminal and we will be held accountable. I'm not saying this to frighten you, I'm just saying this because it's my responsibility to tell you. But in many places, including in Proverbs 24, listen to the, to the word of the Lord. Proverbs 24, God says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter. Hold them back. If you say, however, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it? Who keeps your soul? Will he not render to man according to his work? He says, hold them back. And if you say, oh, gee, I didn't know they were dying, he's going to say, you think I don't know? You think I don't know your heart? You think I won't hold you accountable for your silence? Ezekiel chapter 33, God says to the prophet Ezekiel, he says, go to this people, and whether they listen to you or not, Say to them, thus says the Lord. And he goes on to say, if, if they ignore you, they will die in their sins, and the blood is on their hands. But if you are silent, they will die in their sins, but the blood is on your hands. Now, those are pretty frightening words. What does that mean? Let me tell you exactly what that means theologically. I don't have a clue. And I don't want to find out. <laughs> Paul quotes that in Corinth. You heard that? When we rejected his word in the synagogue in Corinth, he says, I'm clean. I'm clean. The blood is on your heads. It wasn't a curse. He was quoting Ezekiel. He understood that as, if he were silent, he would be accountable in some way. But he had spoken, and he was clean. 
All around us, brothers and sisters, men and women are being reduced to absolute despair and utter hopelessness. We're the only people, we're the only people with a genuine word of hope. We must not keep that word of hope to ourselves. I'll close with this thought. Years ago, I remember uh, hearing a young Israeli woman speak. And she was saying, you know, we all want peace. We all hope there'll be some kind of a solution. But then she said, very, very honestly, she said, but there is no solution. There is no peace. We have no hope. We have hope. We have an anchor. We have Jesus. He is our hope. He is our anchor. And no storm can prevail against him. No matter how severe the winds and no matter how strong the waves, we have hope. Let's pray. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you that we have hope. We thank you that the hope of Israel is the Messiah, Jesus, and he's ours. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent him to pay the price for our sins, to rescue us from sin and death, and to grant us an eternal relationship with you. Thank you for the hope. Keep your eyes closed for a moment, please. Thanks for listening to me this morning. Listen just a moment longer, would you please? But keep your eyes closed. I realize it's possible that some of you here uh, do not have that hope. You don't have Jesus. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've come regularly. Maybe you've heard the gospel message all your lives. Maybe you understand it perfectly well. Maybe it's the first time you're ever hearing it. But you know that you don't have hope because you know that you've never repented of your sins. You've never taken responsibility for the storm. And you've never said, I need to turn around. You have no hope. You're not going to find any solutions to whatever storms you're in. But there is hope. You just need to repent and believe that he died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and because he's alive, he can forgive you when you come to him and say, please forgive me for what I caused you to endure on my behalf. And he'll forgive you and he'll always be with you, and nothing will ever separate you from his love. Just repent and trust him. I'm going to say a very simple prayer with my lips. And if you know in your heart that you have never yet repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus, I invite you to say this prayer silently with your heart. Jesus, I know I'm caught in a storm. 
and I know I cannot rescue myself. And I know that my life has been a life in rebellion against you. Please forgive me. Please rescue me. Save me. From now on, I will follow you. Keep your eyes closed just one more moment, please. If you said that prayer silently in your heart, while everybody else's eyes are closed, would you just slip up your hand? God bless you. Anybody else? For those of you raising your hands, or if you said that prayer but you're not raising your hand, uh, don't leave this service today uh, without talking to one of us, all right? You just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Let one of us talk with you. Let one of us pray with you. Let one of us encourage you and bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Father, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for letting me scream at you. Um, remember to fill out... No, no, no. Please remember to, uh, to fill out that form so that I can stay in touch with you, all right? Um, we desperately need your prayers in a good way. <laughs> um, give me the card or put it in the, uh, the offering basket.